Once upon a time, all a house had to do was look the part of being haunted. In towns everywhere, there was always that one house, the one that kids dared each other to simply walk up to, or they would avoid it altogether. Sometimes it was a house that had been abandoned or neglected. Other times, those who dwelled within its dilapidated walls might be reclusive or considered odd by the general populace. It just had one requirement. People had to see it as haunted, different, unclean, out of sorts. The house and its inhabitants would often be shunned by the rest of us without any evidence or a clear-cut reason for our fear or any sort of rationale. Even when it was discovered, as it often was, that there was nothing to be afraid of in the house, we resisted the revelation of truth like it somehow might keep us in a state of suspended fear even as we hated the same suspension. But why? Because even as we've crawled out from caves, bones extending, neurons gaining speed and complexity, banishing whatever we thought might be hiding in the dark, we never lost our fear or our love of it. We created haunted houses to contain that fear, but fear cannot be contained. So we invented more and more houses, and that worked for a while until it grew too large and dangerous to be contained within one simple structure. So our haunts grew larger until we had professional ones, until entire theme parks became a haunted attraction. This love-hate relationship has gone on for generation upon generation because as the world grew more dangerous, so did our fear. And we sought to contain that, to place boundaries around it within the four walls of a structure. But every day, that fear grows stronger. It leaches through a porous and thinly veiled boundary that has protected us only so far. When I was really little, maybe nine or ten, there was a haunted house attraction down the shore, which is how we refer to the beach in Jersey. It was called the Haunted Mansion, and it was on the pier, which is where all the amusement rides were. And it had a reputation for being the best, the darkest, the scariest. And my parents took myself and my siblings there. And while my brothers and sister were more than happy to go through it by themselves, I was petrified. And so my parents offered me an out. They said, you don't have to go through. But I insisted, even as I would take a step forward and then shrink back in terror, I didn't want to leave. I somehow felt that I had to push myself through it. I had to go through it, but yet I couldn't. And so my parents took me all the way up to a higher level above the pier where most of the other restaurants were so we could look down so that they could show me where the employees came out on the back side of the pier where they would have their smoke break 
or just a break, so I could see they were nothing more than regular people in costume, but it did nothing for my fear. And so in the end, I never got to go through it. And then one day it burned down. Coincidence? Maybe not. Perhaps it was a coincidence that the house burnt down. I can remember um, not really experiencing these things in rural Missouri where I grew up. I was more into running around as a kid, dressing up, getting treats during this time of year. A haunted house really didn't rule into it for me. Now, that's not to say there weren't houses that we labeled as haunted in my small town. You could see them overgrown. Cats usually hung out in them. But it wasn't the cats that scared us so much. Cats, I love it. mainly (laughs) the Denzians of the house that concerned us because we were told they would take kids and not to go there. As an adult, I've found that My like of haunted houses is for the enjoyment of the scare. I don't want ones that grab me or jump out at me. That could cause a rather visceral and physical reaction on my behalf that would instantly land me in a holding cell. (laughs) Which is the truth because you you don't want things that scare you when you've been around things that blow up and gunfire and things like that. It doesn't bother me to go through them. It's just that if there's any type of touching or grabbing, like something grabs me, I'm going to grab it back and give a yank. You might get a dislocated shoulder from that one. But the whole point of it is, when did we go from taking these houses as, you know, a bad omen and crossing the street to walk away from them so that we were nowhere near them to going to them, seeking them out to find them? That's my question. And... It has a long history that some people did try to ruin with their, um, shall we say, actions. Um, a couple of things like um, had the had the poison candy thing happened over and over again, and had that been pushed, we may not have the haunted houses which, we have today, which was actually done by the one father. One man, yeah, he murdered his own son, and that's, that's right. how that urban legend happened. Right, I was going to get into that, but thank you, okay, honey. I appreciate sorry. that. I was going there. No, this is what we're here for. But yeah. you get you have to think about it. We seek them out now. Why? It's a that, good question. That right? is a great question. Why do we seek them out now? This one um, is not one I have a lot of experience with, but I do like scaring people, so, you know, haunted yeah, houses are there for me. When we watched the one special about people who are haunters, who work in the haunted house industry, or in the scare industry, I should say, some of them really, really like scaring people. They, they view it as therapy. Like most of them talked about how they work in jobs where they may have to put up with a lot of emotional abuse all day long or a lot of stress. And this was their outlet. They would go to work in a haunted scare attraction and they would vent, <laughs> which is kind of scary. I don't want to be on the other end of that. And I, I love haunted houses. Um, I think it's really interesting when, when you and I started talking about this episode, you know, we started talking about our memories and, and where, you know, haunts came from, because when I was growing up, it was still just lawn displays. 
you know? Exactly. Lawn displays. They were not so much spooky as they were... Creative. creative inventive. and inventive. Yeah. And things like that. And I can remember as, you know, an enlisted person and a single enlisted <clears throat> person, how if I was staying at a friend's house, one of our duties as a single enlisted person for our married friends was we would take their kids around. Yeah. To give the parents a break. Because later on, oh yeah, we were going to be into it. And yeah. it was going to get loud and rowdy and... Not so much violent, but we were going to have a good Halloween scary time for the for the uh, holiday parties that we were having during the month of October. Some of them you would dress up for. Some of them you would just show up, have a good time. But all in all, what you what you learned was that haunted houses for to be labeled as anything are a social interaction. They are, and there there's a definite exchange of energy. You know, um, especially the houses that exist today, or even like I was saying, you know, you have entire like Universal Studios and Six Flags. They do these entire takeovers where they just simply have an entire haunted event for, you know, the period, usually, usually for the month, I think. And I think that it's incredible to see where we came from you know, lawn displays to simple home haunts, like the documentary that you and I like, Red, White, and Scare. Red, White, and Scare, or The American Scream. The American Scream, where they they talk about, you know, people who will literally end, you know, November 1st, they're already planning next year's haunt. And some of them work in a space that's 10 by 10 in their backyard, and they turn it into this really incredible intricate display that brings up a memory when we were taking jackson around in um in, in naval housing yep. in lamore that one person who turned their garage, garage. into a little home haunt and it was cool it and was really cool there, you saw that a lot and then when i was working on base for the military housing there i remember one of the best uh scenes that i saw was someone hung three fake bodies from their front porch. Okay, that would not be funny these days. It, it isn't funny, no. but their neighbors, they and it went with their decoration in their yard because they had a gallows. They had people hanging there. And basically, it was naming all the evil people in the world. Like, the signs hanging from around one of their necks was Adolf Hitler, have a nice rest. Wow. Okay, that would be really bad. But remember, we're also talking about military bases, too, where these people are the faces of evil to service members. Right. I just think that hanging in general with the very disturbing and horrific past that America has to account for still, you know, it's... A really tricky line. It, I mean, I can appreciate... It is a very hard line yeah. that you're on there, I, and I, would, I, I, I would can th- appreciate the names on it, but not, the... Not the, not the imagery it would conjure up, sadly. Well, you know? it, it, there were enough complaints to where we had to go up there and ask them if they were going to take them down, and when they said no, we had to go back, because again, while a lot of times you will be told in the military, we support and defend democracy, we don't practice it, we were also at the... At the uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? We were also at the mercy of remember their family members are not military right. members, right? So what they did that came back on the military member themselves. But yeah. I'm not here to dissect uh, you know military culture and the microcosm no, base housing. Is. I I think what we were talking about when we were watching those documentaries is the most fascinating part is there's a really huge dichotomy now between haunted houses that seek to frighten you 
engage you and and cause all sorts of you know physical responses and those that want to cross that line and touch you you know there's the black box experiment which is a documentary about um i'm gonna get the name wrong of it but it's basically it started with an interactive experience where you're simulated being abducted assaulted in ways physically i'm not saying necessarily sexually but it's really graphic and it's really intensive and there are people who are addicted to it and they go four or five times a year. They consider it therapy to get over their, I, I don't know, the, the rush of adrenaline when they come through it and they survive. Um, I mean, that's, that's a whole different class of scare. And then you have, um, there's one, I'm not going to name it, but it's out there. And I'm sure most people who it's are in. It's very extreme. It's very extreme. It and the guy who runs it is very, uh, it's questionable is yeah. what I'm going to say as far as what of his motives are. But, um, the people who have been doing haunts for years and haunted houses have taken a very strong stance against that sort of experience because they say it's really not authentic to Halloween. And obviously that's subjective. You know, what scares one person doesn't scare another. Um, what some people find entertaining, <laughs> other people don't. And that's part of the whole thing. I mean, fear, like I was talking about, I think that our need to create these haunted houses now is a way to control something that we feel is uncontrollable. So essentially we're kidding ourselves. You know, fear is something that as the world gets scarier, it grows larger in our movies, in our media, and certainly in these haunted houses, but we enjoy them. They're, they're, they're still something you can, you can accomplish. You can go through a haunted house, you can scream, you can get afraid and you can walk out and leave it behind. And so temporarily you are conquering that fear. You are putting it away. And I think that that's kind of important. That's why people, you know, I love scary movies. I don't like necessarily gory movies. I absolutely passionately love Evil Dead and those kind of movies because they're ridiculous and they're over the top. I do not enjoy movies like Hostel or Torture Porn because I feel that it's just gratuitous, you know, to make you feel sick, not to necessarily frighten you. But again, subjective. Everybody has what they enjoy. But for those of us who like horror, who like haunted houses, you know, as my, as Wayne was saying, like, you know, he doesn't necessarily like the same sort of scary things that I do. But there are times when I've, I've caught a reaction out of him that was legitimately something he wasn't expecting. And then I'm really excited. I'm like, yes, you got afraid. <laughs> and he gets mad and tells me, no, I just imagined it. <laughs> but my... There are things that have made me jump when we've watched them because I truly wasn't expecting it. The the and that's a credit to the actors. The and taking the of Deborah Logan definitely freaked you out. It didn't scare you necessarily, but I know that you said it was definitely freaky, right? Yeah, absolutely. And as I was saying before Sorry. someone Sorry. pointed out the taking of Deborah Logan, another great one, um, that it is a credit to the people who filmed it and basically edited it and directed it and produced it that they actually created something that made that made me feel that fear that made me jump and i have to say that's not something that we get a lot in the world and well for me anyways don't know about everyone else i mean but it it, it is something that is wonderful to feel every now and again not all the time and yeah and let's let's look at the let's look at the home hunt. How that started. It was just people who wanted to put on a little bit more for Halloween to give people a little bit more for Halloween. 
than just ooh look at my look at my styrofoam or wooden tombstones in the yard and come on up and enjoy this and here's your candy kids get on down the road to the next one great costume and the people who put these home haunts on you got to give them a lot of credit that's a lot of planning for a small space as karen said earlier and they make it happen and some people's some people's spouses are on board and some people's spouses are not on board but the whole point of it is it's their passion to yeah. create these things for one night a year at their houses and some of them have taken them big and well those we see every year starting in the beginning of October yeah there's the the movie called the uh, the house is october belt and it's it's a it's i'm not going to say it's is it found footage i can't remember but it is told through the perspective of people who are seeking out the underground haunt scene. Um, this movie came out about five years ago, so it would have been before a lot of the more radical ones existed. But you know, it was interesting because it, they legitimately filmed it at various haunted things across the United States. So that was cool. It was really interesting to see, you know, what people take and turn into like people who started doing home haunts a lot of them wind up working in that industry you know and one of the gentlemen that we watched in our documentary that was always his passion and by the end of the documentary he had been laid off from his job so he decided i'm going to take my 401k and i'm i'm going to make my own house and he did and he's successful it's outside of philadelphia and last time i checked it was still running so it's definitely like Wayne was saying, like it's passionate, like you have to passionately love it. That experience of giving people something scary, something that they'll take away with them. I still remember one of the best haunted houses I went in, one when I was a kid, when I got older, obviously not the Long Branch one because it had burned down. You went down. in that one? No, I didn't go in the Long Branch one. I never you got in it. It burned down. You didn't down. play in the ashes afterwards? No. <laughs> No, that's a whole other horror movie. No, I, I just remember they would pipe this music out onto the pier, and it was so creepy, and I so badly wanted to go in that house. And I think what happened is it burnt down the summer in between like when I was working up the courage, saying, oh, next summer I'll go, because it was only open in the summertime. Um, but uh, no, it burnt down, so I never got it. But there was one when I was older out in Long Island um, that was put on by... There's a firehouse out there that puts it on a fire department that does it for the local burn ward at the hospital. And my enjoyment at a haunted house is usually the psychological ones, the ones that bring about a sensation for you, whether it's being claustrophobic or it's psychological, it's kind of pushing the boundaries of your comfort level um, in a safe way, Um, but not the ones where it's just constantly room after room after room of, you know, fake dead bodies and people with chainsaws running after you like that. That makes me laugh. It doesn't, you know, like I, I honestly have a great time going through houses like that. Cause I laugh the whole time hysterically. Like the one we went to in Wilmington. Oh, before yeah. we left North Carolina, you remember that one we went with Jackson and they had, they had a haunted hayride and the haunted house. Oh yeah. That was out at that uh, plantation place. Yeah. The whatever first it was. peanut plantation in North Carolina. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, and then they sold out. So whatever. Yeah. And then the next year they did Christmas lights. Because it, it was a charity, so they were trying to raise money. for. Well, the, to, no, remember the high schoolers ran that one. The high schoolers, well, they, they worked for free. They did the thing. But that was the year they did Slender Man. 
That was awesome. We went on that haunted hayride and they had somebody on stilts pretending to be Slenderman chasing us. And it was incredible for, for just a bunch of high schoolers. See, that's, that's honestly a good point that like you were saying with home haunts, like some of these people come up with such incredibly clever ideas with very little to work with. And it's almost like when people get too much money and too much, they, they, they lose that. They lose that ability to get to the heart of what makes people afraid. I think the best part about that hayride was when they did the circus came to town and that one female clown climbed on and oh sat God. right next to the pregnant woman and she goes, <laughs> I like babies. Yeah. And just touching her belly like that. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was disturbing. That was awesome. And everyone, and that woman was trying to shy away from her, but she had nowhere to go. No. We were packed in. Well, those, but those, those kids committed. A hundred percent. They were they were going for broke, so you got to give them mad props for that. Oh, it was it it just shows the level of passion they had for what they were doing. Beyond that, and you want to know what you you look at that and you're thinking, well, if they can do this and set their minds to it, what else could they yeah. do if you gave them a good budget to create something like this? And I don't know. That's the whole thing. Yeah, but like I said, good budget. I think the budget also needs to be mindful because I think the best scares come from the invention of the the haunter's mind, not how many how many props they can put up. Because that's to me when a lot of haunts kind of go downhill because they start to depend on the fake body part, on the blood spill, you know. Um, and the best haunts I think are the ones that tell a story. There are a lot that I've read where they have an, they create a theme and then every year they expand on the theme. There was one where they had a family and the, the family was crazy and they had created a whole history for the family and the crazy aunt and all that. And it was really cool. I mean, you know, they, they really put a lot of work into it. Well, it was North Carolina, so that crazy family and <laughs> Maybe not that's really a truth. stretch. Maybe it really wasn't a haunted attraction. Maybe they just kept saying that and invited people in. Yeah, that could have been it. But when when you look at haunted houses, you have to think back to, in our last one, the invention of Gothic literature. Yeah. Without the invention of Gothic literature and the fact that you were reading to be scared, haunted <laughs> houses wouldn't have come around. We also have to look at the lore that surrounds anything scary and spooky. <clears throat> yeah. And I think I think it's also true that certain areas of the country um and and I don't know that it's city versus country but I think when you certain get to certain areas certain ideas will propagate a lot quicker and a lot more intensely. So you know when people don't have a lot of distractions like if you live in a big city there's a lot going on around you. When you live in the suburbs or even in the rural parts, I think it's easier to invest in those things and it's more likely. I mean, there's not a lot of horror movies based in large cities. They're usually small towns, you know. Um, and do you want to know why that is? I will tell you why that <laughs> why is, is that? being from a small town. In a small town, small towns hide secrets. Yes. Secrets that are only known to the people who have lived there long enough to know them. Now, that does not mean the new people being born to families in that town will know these secrets. So those secrets, they hide, they fester, and eventually they spring up a legend or a haunted house. Yeah, that's so true. I think 
it's so much easier for secrets. You'd think in a large city it would be easier for them to hide, but I don't think that's true. I think it's easier in small towns, which, you know, both you and I grew up in a small town. Tell so me we, something about Metuchen that we would never, ever know that would be a secret that only someone who was born and raised there would know. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a good question. You don't have to tell me now. If you think about it during this, that's fine. Okay, I'll, I'll think about it. Okay, well, I, if- I'll tell you a secret about my small town in Missouri. Yeah. My small town in Missouri, one of the secrets I can tell you about, and it's not really a scary secret, but it's a secret that everyone knew and stayed away from, was there was a certain family there who, before you know, before the legalization of marijuana in a lot of st- in the states that have legalized it, they grew it, and I'll tell you this, all law enforcement knew where they grew it, and they also knew to stay away from there because this family would shoot you. Wow. And there have been people, out-of-towners mainly, who have disappeared, and they found their cars abandoned outside of town. Get out of here! Are you serious? From what I've been told, okay? Right. So. But isn't that how all urban legends start? I've heard from someone who's heard from someone. Or what I've been told, but... We're not here for urban legends. We did that. No, we did do that. We did do urban legends. But I, I'm just saying, that is how haunted houses start, too. Yeah. A very, and most haunted houses, they're usually large, overbuilt piles that have degraded over the years and festered. And now you have this place that just sits there. City doesn't want to tear it down because... They don't own it. It's still owned by some far-flung family member who isn't there, who has rights to it and things like that. There was a house across the street from mine, and I don't know what that sound is outside, but it's loud. Um, So there was a house across the street. Now, the house I grew up in is coming up on its 200 years. It's pretty old. It was built in the 1800s. And there was almost a twin of it across the street. Different style, but old big and it had the coolest driveway that went on a right angle oh sorry it went on a right angle and there were all trees so if a car drove in it was essentially driving in under a tree port and you couldn't see anything and you couldn't see anything and then the the driveway came out on the other side but it it was definitely run down um but it was a beautiful house it had just been neglected and so of course all of us thought it was it was haunted, and of course all of us made up stories about it. And it turns out years later that the couple who lived there had lived there together for probably 60 years, and the husband had gotten old and had eventually passed away, and she didn't want to leave his wife. That was their home together, but she was older, and she couldn't really handle anything anymore, and eventually she she wound up going to a assisted living facility. But I remember the people that moved in afterwards and bought the house, stripped it of everything. They took all the siding off and they put up this horrible, like pale yellow side. They they renovated the house to the point where it was just like every other house. And I will not lie, there was a part of me that was truly sad because I don't know, there was there was that definite appeal and mystique of this haunted house. And even though I knew it wasn't haunted, I knew there was nothing really there except for an older couple that just didn't have the money to maintain it or the, the physical, you know, life anymore, it still was more romantic and more appealing than what sprouted up afterwards because it was just hideous and ugly. It killed the story of the house for you and how it was haunted. So I can understand that one. It, 
it's it's like modernization. It when it marches on, it removes those things from our childhood and those haunted houses from our childhood. Keeping those around keep the spirit of, you know, your youth alive. Yeah, I also think though that as I said in the beginning, you know, fear, which is what we're really trying to contain in these haunted houses, it never goes away. You never really conquer it. You you temporarily abate your control of it, you know, but eventually it comes back. And so they can tear down the haunted houses. They can modernize them to death, but it's still going to find a place to live. It has to. Which brings us to the commercial haunted houses. It has found a place to live there. They hire people to do the scaring. They hire Mm. people to touch you, to grab you, to give you that fright, to give you that thrill. And these people sign on and get made up and basically want to look like something out of your nightmares. Now, for me, something out of my nightmares would be the last cup of coffee being taken before I can get one. <laughs> That's truly Definitely. a nightmare. Well, what sort of haunted house would scare you? Like, if, if you could design a haunted house with things that you know would really terrify you, what, what would it be? You know, I've never really put a lot of thought to that because I... I don't seek a scare out. If it scares me and, I'm ha- and it's in the you know pursuit of us having a good time, that's great. But I really could not tell you what would truly frighten me until I sat down and put a lot of thought to it. I guess the only thing that truly frightens me is, you know, not being able to do for myself. Oh, you mean being physically limited? Right. Okay, yeah. And... And this this comes from being able-bodied all my life. So if you just suddenly strapped me in a chair and said, you're not moving for the rest of your life, well... Yeah, that would that would scare me, too. That yeah. would scare me. I, I just think it's really fascinating as a writer to think about, you know, in the horror genre and in this, the world of haunting, you know, there are so many things that scare people. I'm always more drawn backwards to the supernatural, you know, than... Something like that. Because there, there are, you know, horror movies about people, you know, being trapped. Like Misery, which is one of Stephen King's most popular novels. I never read it. And I've read almost every book he's ever read. It just... Yes, it is a terrifying. It is a horror story. It is truly awful what happens. But I had zero interest in it because there were no ghosts or specters. I mean, I know that's terrible, but... I, I think since you've brought up Stephen King, my favorite haunted house is Rose Red. Yeah, which is based off the Winchester Mansion. But still, think about it. He took the Winchester Mansion and turned it into... It's already truly frightening as it is from what people have described about it. Yeah, but it. the Winchester really isn't... What, well, think about it from... Um, I mean, I think it's scary to go through the Winchester, which we sadly never got to do, having a baby at the time they had that tour. But uh, they've made up all these stories about why she did what she did with it, and none of them are true. And... Well, okay, none of them are true, but it's now part of American legend about why she built that house. And if you really think about Rose Red and that material right there, think about a house that never stops building itself, ever. Yeah, I would like to see another version of Rose Red. I kind of feel like the TV version was good, but it was limited because it was made for TV. And I would love to see, like, there are certain directors that take a horror story, like uh, Mike Flanagan and uh, James Wan, two of of my favorites, but, like, 
they can take a story and, and expand its scope in a way that you don't have that comfortable gap. Like if you think about when you go to the theater, there's always a space between you and the actual theater. I'm talking like live theater now. So there's a protective space, usually an orchestra pit, and it kind of gives you that gap. Well, a lot of horror movies, it's the same thing. Like they create a movie where you can comfortably feel yourself removed from it. Like it's not going to affect you. But James Wan particularly, I remember going, Wayne's going to remember this. We went to see Insidious in the movie theater. And right off the bat, you know, the first big movie that James Wan ever did, which was incredible if you haven't seen it. See it, it's called Dead Silence. Um, but he loves a lot of feature effects. He doesn't use a lot of CGI, or at least he didn't back then. So in Insidious, we're sitting in the theater, and the movie opens, and it's not even five minutes in, but he's already pulled you in. Like, he's shot it in a way that you are now oh, in. yes. And I turn like to you, you and are I... walking down the hall. Yes, and it's so... I can't explain it. It's it's obviously a filming technique that a lot of directors can use, but he uses it extremely well. And I remember automatically feeling like I don't feel safe. I can't pull myself out of this. And I remember saying to Wayne, I think we should leave now. <laughs> we were five minutes into the movie. And Wayne looks at me and goes, oh, no, we're not leaving. Oh, no, we're not. We and I was just like, okay. spent $18 a person. Yeah. And another 20 at concessions yeah, we're to watch leaving. this movie. We're not leaving. Now, I'm going to pivot back to where I read the diary of Ellen Rimbauer. Oh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Just to let you know. So here I am. I read that book, too. The diary of Ellen Rimbauer. Full battle rattle. All my gear. Sitting ECP. Uh, it's called entry control point. Middle of the night. I'm on watch. Supposed to be paying attention to the desert. Mm-hmm. But I'm reading the diary of Ellen Rimbauer. Something moves out of the corner of my eye. Oh, boy. <laughs> you go, the book hit the ground. I go alert. And what it was, it was a lizard. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. That right there frightened me. Yeah. Because I'm supposed to be watching for enemy. And there I am, gaffing off, reading a book in the middle of the desert. Let me tell you. In a little up-armored <laughs> shack. Before vehicles are coming in and out and check ID. So, you know, when you're in those conditions, now I want you to think about this. It's the desert. There's no light except the one from your shack and the one shining out into the desert. The stars are beautiful. You're getting into this book because you have 8 to 12 hours to sit. And then suddenly something moves out of the corner of your eye. Now, for anyone else, they would have, been, they would have brushed it off as a shadow. But in that place... You go check it out. Plus, we had to wait till someone came back from their roving patrol, and you went on an opposite roving patrol up through the vehicle yards where you parked everything, up through all the other facilities that you had there, and this is what you did. Now, after that and reading that book, there I am walking through darkened spaces, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, that was just a lizard. But your mind will play tricks on you. So I want you to think about this in a haunted house element. You're passing between these vehicles. You're passing by tents where you can see lights when the uh, when someone moves and the edge flutters. You can see a light lash out in a beam real quick and then it goes dark again, ruining your night vision. And here you are on this patrol, just making sure everything's secure. No one has crept in to do horrible things to you and your comrades. <laughs> 
and you've read a, and you've been reading a horror novel by one of the masters of modern horror. Yeah. That right there, my friends, is the scariest haunted house I can think of. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that. I don't I don't have any real life experience besides childbirth that would compare. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. We've I, we've seen some weird things we, together. We, we have, but nothing nothing extraordinary. Nothing that makes me go I wouldn't want to go back there. I mean, there's definitely been places I've been. That place been. in Flagstaff. Are you talking about with the mannequin? Mannequin in the window. Yeah, we no. were, yeah that was. But, but that was just creepy. Yeah, that was. But it, with haunted houses and the workers there, I, I have to commend them every year. They get up to put on a show. Yeah. That's what they're putting on. Well, of course, it's to make money as well. But well, not all of them get paid. A lot of them do it as volunteers. That's what I'm saying. They they put on a show for you to scare you during the month of October. So if we're really thinking about it, the houses that October built, that is an apt name for all yeah. these haunted houses. Because had we not embraced the the pagan the pagan rituals and pagan festivals that spawn these yeah sawin that's right we would not have haunted houses today so without those haunted houses and if you really look at haunted houses it's almost a way of honoring your dead by building these houses and i think for some of us we take those haunted houses with us like we carry them around us because you know as as you know you were just saying being you were there in the desert and and it was scary it was terrifying every day and so even, well not during the day but you well get my but you yeah there. every day means the metaphorical day um and i think you know you can carry a lot of that with you and all it takes is a book or a story you know to kind of activate that part of your brain because really you know i said earlier that we crawled out of caves you know as we evolved as human beings and we found out what was in the dark, but did we really? Did we really find out everything that was in the dark? Let's let's put it like this. So there you are, cave person. The only thing pushing back the night is that fire, and it's going lower and lower. The shadows are playing across the landscape, and with your mind, your primitive mind, those shadows equate to things you don't know. Now, to yourself, the first thing you're going to do is go draw on your cave wall, of course. <laughs> and what you've done there is you've created your first haunted house, yeah. the cave. That's right. And, and then here we are, thousands of years later, looking at these cave drawings, thinking, oh, this is when they chase buffalo. Why is this guy, hands to his head, pulling his hair out? Yeah. Things like, oh, <laughs> Why is there a it. big dark specter on the wall? <laughs> there have been some cave drawings that depict things that are very disturbing. And, you know, like I talked about last week, that the first ghost story was on Shards of Pottery. Um, and Or one of the first ghost well, stories. Well, if we really want to think about it, the first haunted houses could be those pyramids and ziggurats and everything else. Yeah. They put dead in there. They were supposed to be haunted by the dead, protected by the dead. So those places where they buried their dead could be considered the first haunted houses. I mean, I don't know. We'd probably have to look that up and do a deep dive on it, but I'm not really into that right now. No. <laughs> I think in our own way, as much as we like to maybe contain our fear and conquer our fear, we're also carrying with us the dead wherever we go. 
and that, and that's what haunted houses ultimately are whether they're commercial or home haunt or a theme park you know it's maybe a way to make peace with the dead and oh, I'm say, definitely carrying the dead with me. I've got my dad's ashes in my closet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I wasn't necessarily saying literally, but... Um, Sorry to cut you off there, too. No, that's okay. I just think, you know, in, in bringing it at home again to, to what we, were, we started off with is, you know, haunted houses are quite literally what you make of them, but they are also a way for us to maybe bring the dead back into our lives and give them a place. Give them a home because they've lost the one they had. I can agree with that. The the bring in the dead home and these haunted houses it gives you a place to go and experience that without truly summoning the dead. Right. And I think it's important because this time of year, yes, the veil is thin and speaking to the dead, those we've lost, especially in the last year and a half, it's important. It's important that we give them a place and that we never let them feel forgotten, you know? Oh, yeah, I agree with that. You, you got to remember where, you, where you've come from, and that includes your dead. Yeah. So that's all I have. I guess as we sign off, it's haunted house season. <laughs> so find, find your one. haunted house. <laughs> Go enjoy it and have fun, people.